Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. much more take it away fellas yes hello again good to be back after our mini hiatus happy new year to our loyal listeners and sponsors 2020 was a heck of a ride so let's hope 2021 is better for everyone and for football here in australia coming up on today's show we'll review the opening matches in the 2020-21 a-league campaign ask whether the premier league should be taking a break with COVID utterly rampant in the UK. And our special guest later on is Sydney FC CEO Danny Townsend, who will be answering some of your questions on the unbundling of the leagues from FFA Control. All that to come in the company of our dynamic duo. So it's a happy hogmany to Craig Moore. And let's see if I get this right. FC Kishmesnos. Okinorios Kronos to Zelko Kalats. Apparently, that's Happy New Year in Greek, and I think I've just absolutely butchered that. No one said that here in Greece. Nobody said that to you, Spider. They probably didn't dare, given the size of you. How was your Christmas, guys? Good? Yeah, we ate and drank and enjoyed it. Yeah, no, same, same. Spent some time with the in laws, looked pretty subdued, pretty quiet, but good to spend some time with some family. You always have to be subdued with your in-laws. Um, Spider, right, I read you're finally starting on the 10th of January, Greek Super League 2, is that correct? Well, this is what we've been told. So uh, not, not official as of yet, but we've been told that we're starting next week. Uh, we're waiting for confirmation on Tuesday. So hopefully all goes ahead. Uh, in a couple of days' time, and uh, we'll be playing on the weekend. Okay, well, that's that's good to hear. Maury, I know you were at the old firm game on January the 2nd. Rangers beating Celtic, 19 points clear at the top of the SPL. They can't blow it now, can they? Yeah, surely not. I mean, tough game now away to Aberdeen, which you need to go and win. Otherwise, the old firm victory means means nothing. Uh, Rangers weren't at their best, Simon, uh, but they still managed to to get the 1-0 victory, so... 
huge lead, uh, lead for Rangers at the moment and it would be a big choke from here for them to lose the league. Sure would be. Okay, let's uh, get into it then with Hard Talk. Hard Talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, which has been live streaming since 2008, specialising in custom-built stream pages, pay-per-view and multi-language streaming. They can cater to large online conferences with multiple simultaneous streams and destinations, including all social media channels servicing clients Australia-wide. Go to streamgates.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. So the A-League season is uh, underway, guys. Uh, the COVID spike in New South Wales meant a couple of the interstate matches were cancelled, unfortunately. Sydney, Melbourne City and Brisbane, Royal Wellington, the Wanderers against Western United. Uh, not many goals in the early matches, but, but what have you made of the standards overall? Many neutrals, guys, seem to believe it's been pretty good so far. Yeah, and I agree. I think the games, uh, the fixtures have been very good. Uh, entertaining, which you would expect with a lot of youngsters getting their opportunity. So a lot of mistakes are getting made as well, but it's making for entertaining matches. And I'll tell you one thing, the keepers have been very, very good. And a lot of them are young keepers getting their keepers first opportunity. Union. Keepers union. Well, just saying, uh, no, Maury. Just saying. It has been exciting, you know. Like it says, you, we expected to... Uh, you know, see a lot, a lot of younger players being presented their opportunities, which is which has been fantastic. The important thing is that these younger players take those opportunities. But I think the games have been quite exciting. Um, you know, even the very first game that I watched, uh, which was which was a draw between Western United and Adelaide, I still thought it was an entertaining game, Simon. It was end to end. There were chances within the match. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's been an exciting start to the season. Talking of uh, some of those youngsters, Alu Cool and uh, Jordan Smiley were on the score sheet for the Mariners in their opening two matches. Alan Stajic's team, top of the league. Yeah. I was waiting. I was wait, I was waiting to read somewhere on Twitter from uh, Ray Gat, Alan Stajic's all stars, top of the table, or something like that. Uh, uh, he, has, he has tweeted plenty, Gatty. Don't worry about that. You got to give him credit, Maury. You know, like uh, they, they've done a great job. Two games, two wins. Um, look, they've got a lot of players that have been in the A-League, uh, probably young age now. They're getting, you know, two second year in, more experience. They look better organised. They're fighting for each other. They've had a good pre-season together. Look, it's early days yet, but two wins are two wins. And we were, look, we were pretty firm with Central Coast Mariners. They, they were none of our tips to, to, to be top performers this year. Um, and I think it was, it was fair uh, because they are a club that have underperformed. But... Two games in, as you say, Spider with two victories. It's got them off to the perfect start and given them something to build on, which is brilliant. And uh, interesting to read Alan Stajic's post-game comments where he said that uh, COVID might just turn out to be the best yeah. thing to ever happen to the national teams of Australia over the next few years because of the opportunities it's given those young players. But again, yeah. we've, we've said that. We said in terms of a, you know... The sad thing is, we're like maybe the game needs to fall over to 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 rebuild, to start again, to be fresh. And this is something that I think that Alan Sajic is is talking about, and I totally agree with him. We needed something drastic to happen, Simon. And and I think with COVID and the the salary cap being reduced and and the younger players getting these opportunities, I do believe it's in the best interest of the future of our game. 
Drastic is a good way to describe COVID, I think. Most people would agree with that. Um, back to the goalkeepers' union, uh, Spider, as we move on to talk about uh, MacArthur FC. You've uh, had a bit of an up-and-down start to life in the A-League. A very good win at the Western Sydney Wanderers, followed by that loss against the Central Coast Mariners. But that win against the Wanderers um, came about in large part because Adam Federici was absolutely top draw between the posts. Could he be back in the Socceroos' reckoning, given Matt Ryan's issues at the moment? Look, uh, I think uh, Federici's been in the Socceroos, uh, in and out of the Socceroos for a long time now. Uh, I, I tell you what I see. I see a very, very good goalkeeper playing in a league that he's playing in very comfortably. Um, he, he's going to give... He gives an aura of presence already. You can see it. And the young players that he has around him, it's, it's a fantastic to have a goalkeeper at that age come back into the A-League and to, to help the younger players grow and actually aspire the younger goalkeepers to see what can really happen if you actually take things seriously. Because he's always been a fantastic goalkeeper. He probably never got the credit that he should have because we yeah. didn't see much of him playing. Well, we're certainly uh, going to. The national team, you mean, Spider? Because obviously, he's always been a regular at club level in in Europe, in England. Yeah, but with with the national team, we haven't seen much of him because obviously there's been keepers ahead of him, and that happens. Only one of only one plays, and the other, you know, three or four that are playing well for their clubs aren't getting that opportunity. But he's always been a fantastic goalkeeper. Same like Langerak, uh, another one who's had a fantastic season, but hasn't really had a run in the national team because of lack of opportunity. Um, interesting, isn't it, how things can change so quickly in football. Matty Ryan has been the established number one for so many years now, and yet uh, perhaps all of a sudden things have changed just a little bit. Mitch Langrak with that uh, J-League record number of clean sheets. Adam Federici may be coming back into uh, consideration. And Matty, uh, you know, struggling for, for game time, not even on the bench again over Christmas for Brighton. But yeah, well, you know, the thing is... The right solution, Spides, yeah? Yeah, the thing is, Matty's playing at a very high level. So if, if Matty chooses to drop from that level, he'll find the club no problem and he'll play again continually. It just depends what decision he takes. Like Langerak, for example, spent five years at Borussia Dortmund and everyone's saying he's wasting his time, he's wasting his time. He was at a very, very big club. So, you know, it's just the choice of what Matty decides to do. Okay, let's uh, return to the A-League and some of those exciting youngsters that uh, have thrilled us in the opening weeks of the new campaign. How good is Callum Neuenhoff? I mean, he's come out of nowhere, was terrific in the Asian Champions League, and then he's given his starting debut against uh, Wellington Phoenix, and he scores an absolute bomb from outside the box. Pigeon, top corner, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, look, Neuenhoff's obviously, you know, like a lot of the younger players that are coming through, Certainly, he, he took his opportunity. Uh, but again, he's kind of been on the radar. He's come through the Australian schoolboys. Um, he's a player that has had some ability, but like many younger players, just not being given a chance. But I tell you what, Simon, what an absolute peach of a strike to find the top corner. I mean, it was followed up as well with a fantastic uh, long-range free kick from Bratton in that game as well. But two fantastic goals it was. Sure were. Um, pity we didn't catch the Mirza Muratovic goal because uh, the picture from the host broadcast the cutout. But uh, anyway, that's uh, probably what you get with reduced camera coverage as well. Um, let's move on and talk about Melbourne victory and Brisbane Raw. Uh, starting with victory, a bit of a disappointing start to life under Grant Brebner and, and Steve Keane. But did you see any signs in that loss against Brisbane that they can improve upon their 
worst ever A-League campaign last time around, Spider? Look, I don't think they'll be as bad as last year. Um, they're going to grow into the season, obviously. But you've got to give credit to Brisbane. Mm. Uh, I, I thought Brisbane were good. Uh, I thought they were good the first game as well against uh, Melbourne City. So, look, Melbourne victory, I think, will build. You can see they, they try to play. They try to be attacking. They're, it's just going to be one of those seasons where there's going to be games are going to be taken by chances. If you don't take your chances, you're going to pay the price. As simple hey, look, as that. Hey, tired a little bit, Spides. I mean, McManaman was excellent. Uh, but obviously, you know, I think that Melbourne victory tired a little bit in that game. Warren Mood made a good tactical substitution. He brought Jesse Daly on. He pushed Jay Shea a little bit further forward. Uh, Danzaki out into the wider area when Champness come off. And all of a sudden, Brisbane got a foothold in the game. Um, and in the end, they go on. Uh, I think it was Dylan Wenzel Hall's uh, finished the tie off right at, at the very end there with a very good finish. Great result for Brisbane, Brisbane Raw, but I think Melbourne victory will improve. I just don't think they're at top level at the moment, fitness-wise. Maury, in terms of Brisbane, Warren Moon looks to have added an awful lot more firepower this year. That was one of their issues last year. Only really Scotty McDonald, and he only signed halfway uh, through the season. And uh, he, I mean, he keeps banging them in. The third time he scored against victory in three games uh, with, with that goal at, uh, at Amy Park. But they, they seem to have options, don't they? They've got Wenzel Halls, they've got Scotty McDonald, they've got Joey Champness, they've got Danzaki, they've got Masato Kudo, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and look, like any any good team, you need good competition for, for positions. Scotty McDonald is a fantastic professional who will actually guide these these younger players. A player like uh, Dylan Wenzel Halls, who we know can score goals. He's always scored goals. It's bringing that uh, to the top level, which I believe he can do in the A-League. Um, you know, Joey Champness will come onto a game. He's, he'll be pretty settled in terms of he knows the, the club well. Um, and obviously the Asian uh, prospects that we know within the Brisbane Royal ranks. So, Look, that very, very positive start for Brisbane. As you said, Spider, a little bit unlucky uh, against Melbourne City in the first match, but a very good win to Melbourne victory. Yep. Um, Melbourne City, uh, you just mentioned them there. 1-0 winners over Raw in round one and then were beaten by Adelaide in round two. Uh, have you seen enough from their first two games to confirm your belief that uh, they will finally be champions this year? Both of you tipped City to, to lift the crown this season? Look, with what I've seen at the moment, they're not at uh, they're not flying at the moment. Uh, they they were lucky to get a result against Brisbane. Uh, I thought the game against Adelaide could have went both ways. To be honest with you, uh, James Dindenov, another another young keeper, another young keeper who's doing really well, was a Melbourne City, and then from Melbourne City went to Western United, and now he's at Adelaide. He's only twenty one. He's playing. He he actually kept Adelaide in the game. Uh, Melbourne City would be very disappointed. I think that the big call was when Jamo got sent off. That was they were one, yeah, they were one nil down, and it was basically game over then. And, they score off and that free just, kick, don't they? Yeah, they score off that free kick. Tommy Urich scores a free kick, and, and and Adelaide go on. But Adelaide, as we know, Spies, that's a tough place to go and get a result. So I certainly don't um, hold that one against against Melbourne City. I think that they will get stronger as the season goes on. And after two games, Simon, I'm definitely not changing my mind thinking that they can still <laughs> lift the trophy. I, I didn't yeah. think you would. Um, how good to see Tommy Urich back in Australia and uh, back scoring as well, because he's had some issues over the last 12, 18 months. Yeah, look, Tommy's been in Europe. And for all Australians who go to Europe, they actually see how hard it is. It's not easy. Um, I'm going to say this in probably no disrespect. It's easier to get game time in Australia than it is in Europe. 
And sometimes you've got to go back to Australia and get your confidence up as a striker and score some goals. And I think he's made a right choice in going to Adelaide because you get plenty of opportunities the way Carl Veer wants to play. Very attacking, very young. And he'll get his opportunities to get his confidence up. And it was a great goal. It was a great set-piece set move. Set uh, piece. You could see it was, yeah, it was being worked on at training. And, and good luck to him. And I hope he scores many, many goals. And I need to, I'll need to give Ross Aloisi, otherwise he won't be very happy because he'll be working on the set piece. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, it was a well-rehearsed set, set piece. Sorry, uh, Ross. Ross if you're listening, mate, well done. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Tommy, Tommy Urich, I think he came out as well, Simon, and, and said himself that the benefit of coming back to Australia and getting games under his belt again, which is not rocket science. We know that you need to be playing football matches to get into a rhythm, to find your form. And that's what Tommy Urich has come back to Australia to do. And just as an aside, um, how good is it to watch football in a properly sized rectangular football stadium with cool temperatures, with a terrific surface and 10,000 people inside? I mean, that's the formula, isn't it, for the A-League? You know, you get those so. things right. You've got half a chance of winning over the public. Look, I, I, I think we've spoken on the pod that many times about Cooper's Stadium. It is one of the best grounds in Australia to play football at, full stop. Hmm. Simple yeah. as that, isn't it? Um, it's better viewing as well, Simon. You know, like, even like Dolphin and now that Brisbane have as well. Those smaller boutique stadiums, you're seven, eight, ten thousand. Real good noise, good atmosphere. That's what we want to be watching. Boutique. I like that word. Going to use yeah, that in that, the future. Is that in the spider dictionary? <laughs> <laughs> um, last one on the A League before I throw you a question about uh, uh, the W League. There, there's still no sign of new owners for the Newcastle Jets, um, which is a concern, obviously. Uh, are the clubs going to have to take it over in the interim? I guess they, they will have to, won't they? Uh, didn't we hear something that that's what they're doing? I, I hope so. Well, look, there, there's no doubt that Newcastle will be around this season. Uh, what have we got? Five or six months to get through this season. So I'm sure they'll, they'll support Newcastle and, and then uh, something will happen after that. But hopefully something before that happens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And look, and I think as well, like I said, Simon, we've been talking a long time in this podcast now, waiting, waiting, not knowing what's happening. The A-League has now started. It has been exciting. So hopefully there is a, a solution moving forward for Newcastle. And at the moment, all the clubs are, are going to obviously work together to try and find that best solution. Hopefully it comes sooner rather than later. But now that the games are happening and that excitement factor is there again, should be a big benefit to that. Okay, I just want to finish off this segment with uh, a word on the W League and in particular, this ongoing lack of a transfer system. And I know we're going to have this, but it's just something that sort of caught my eye. Uh, Melbourne City, of course, the defending W League champions. They started the season with, with a goalless draw against Brisbane. Uh, goalkeeper Tegan Mike was absolutely outstanding. Here's mm. a fact, though. They started that game against Brisbane with not a single player left from the team that played and won the grand final last season. They've lost a whole raft, as we know, of uh, Matildas, Lydia Williams, Kaya Simon, Ellie Carpenter, uh, Steph Catley, Avi Lewick, Emily Van Egmond. They've all gone overseas. You can include in that Yukari Kinga. So six Matildas and seven internationals. I reckon not a single champion club in the world has had to deal with that in, in recent memory. And all for not the recompense of a single dollar. That's got to change, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a, t- it's a tough one. Even in the one. women's game, it's got to change. It's got to, it's got to change in the women's game. But again, this is, this is not so much um, 
uh, well, in the women's game, it is global at the moment. But normally, Simon, like it says, the one-year contracts contracts expire, and then the opportunity for players to leave is is there. And you've got to remember that our Australian girls, we're top five, top six, top seven in the world, so they're going to have these opportunities to continue to go to bigger clubs, to bigger leagues. Um, but at the same time, that does provide, and we've always said that provide the opportunity for these younger girls coming through to potentially put their hand up and, and get themselves involved in the Matildas for the 2023 Women's World Cup. But we've just seen in, in Europe, just to push this point, uh, Pernilla Harder, who's just signed uh, for Chelsea in, in recent months, and they paid a world record fee for her. I think it's yes. uh, a quarter of a million pounds. So what, what's that? Uh, three, four hundred thousand dollars. Now, we're not talking, you know, game changing uh, amounts of money here yet in, in the women's game. But even so, if you have players of that caliber, really, you're entitled to some sort of recompense, providing they're under contract as well. Of course, they have to be under contract. That's through the, that's through the, yes, no. I mean, we you know we we totally understand that, but that that's an awful lot of talent for a champion club to lose, isn't it? And for massive. nothing, it's massive. You, you lose it for nothing, uh, and look, we're, we're still not mature enough in terms of the academies and 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 the players coming through the system to be able to replace that, Simon. Hmm. So look, and even the, even the clubs that are set up and have been set up for a long time to lose that amount of depth to your 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 team that won won trophies last, the following season, the season before, sorry, that's impossible to feel. Hmm, absolutely. Um, it must also be said in mitigation, um, Alex Chidiak, Emma Checker and Jenna McCormick have all uh, returned to Australia and will be playing for Melbourne City this season, but they weren't involved in that opening game against Brisbane. All right, thanks for the moment, guys. Uh, let's move on. London is calling. London calling. Well, let's start uh, with the English Premier League. And, uh, guys, Sam Allardyce's call for a circuit breaker to the Premier League. After the abundantly high numbers of, of COVID cases in the Premier League, perhaps he just wants it because West, West Brom keep losing. But oh. 18 players, Spider, tested positive in the latest round of tests. The UK in total had 57,725 new cases on the 2nd of January. Does Big Sam have a point? Yeah, r- ridiculous. Um, look, I understand him, totally understand him. Uh, you could call this sour grapes. I'm still fuming that West Brom sacks Love and Billich. So I've been actually like... I panic squads, eh? Uh, mate, I, I've, been, I've been just like pulling, pulling their mate, tail and just hoping they get beat every game because I, I just think it was wrong the way they got rid of him. Um, and Big Sam's come in... Like, I don't begrudge him. Sparring the 1-1, one, one, they've they, got tonked. They got, belted, they got tonked. Like West Brom under Billich were competitive in all their games. Their squad is not unbelievable. Like they tried to play, they'll get beat by one guy. Big Sam come in, lost 4-0. Drew with Liverpool, lost 4-0, lost 5-0 or something like that. Yeah, and I just think... Spider, Spider, that wasn't yep. a question. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, you, you, yeah, I'm a little bit sour I'll on But has he got a has he got a point? Uh, mate, maybe yes, but I, I think he's coming out and saying that only because his results are shite. And I, and I tell you what, I'll tell you right now, mate. There's going to be no circuit breaker. The show the show will go on in, in in the English Premiership. I don't think there'll be any 
any stops at all, Simon. I mean, like it says, it's 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 not great that we're still getting positive cases and all that, but it's the same for all the clubs, and I can't see the league stopping um, at all for this. But but this is public health, isn't it? This is player safety. This is. Uh, well, I was going to say fan safety, but obviously they've, they've since stopped fans going into the stadiums, which I, I guess is something. But if the players are being exposed to this potentially very dangerous illness, and if you read the comments of Steve Bruce about a couple of his players at Newcastle, he's saying, look, you know, some of them have had it and it's just mild. It's like a you know, bit of flu or, or a cold. Yeah, yeah. But he said two of the others have, have really been seriously knocked about by this. Um, you know, they're unable to walk uh, longer than 15, 20 minutes. And these are fit, healthy, young, young athletes. You know, yeah. at some point, Football, as important as it is, and I go back to the old quote from uh, Pope John Paul II, of all the unimportant things in life, football is the most important, and that's true, but yeah. it's still only a game, isn't it? You've got to take care of people's health first. I think if anyone, if anyone, the footballers are actually protected the most, like they're getting tested that, that much, they're, they're going to training, they're going home, they're, they're all in lockdown, they're not going anywhere, so... Like it's it's a difficult one to to say we're just going to stop it because they are actually quite protected. More you would know how many tests we've had tests here for fun since we've been here, and I can tell you, Simon, our club went through it, and we we had it, and you 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 do your two weeks, you get over it, and as you say, some get hit in a different way, but that's like a lot of other illnesses. Everyone everyone takes it in a different way. Mm. I tend to think that money might be at the root of all this. But anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, the action on the pitch where the, the big story emerging really over the last few weeks is the re-emergence of Manchester United as a, a force. We did touch upon this in the last podcast before Christmas. Um, are they genuine title contenders that they're level on points with Liverpool at the top? Um, are they ready for that sort of challenge yet or, or not yet, in your opinion, Maury? I, I don't know whether they're they're ready to... Um, to to lift the title, but again, we've been kind of so negative. I think a lot of people have been in terms of Manchester United, in particular the the way they struggled or underperformed in in Europe. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has taken an absolute um, huge amount of uh, abuse, uh, you know, in terms of questioning whether or not he's the man to to lead Manchester United. You've had the Pogba saga that's going on and on and on. But I actually believe, look, Bruno Fernandes has been an excellent signing and continues to do the business for Manchester United. Pogba's also come in um, and, and, and done a good job. And I actually think the noise now has settled on Pogba, Simon. I think it's settled. I think um, Manchester United, I know they'll have interest come this window, but I don't think they'll sell Pogba. Interesting. Spider, your view? Yeah, I, look, I wouldn't want to play Manchester United away from home. They're unbelievable <laughs> away from home. Uh, <laughs> But they're getting better and better each week. I think Fernandez Mori, you said it, unbelievable. He makes them tick. Everything goes through him. But I think Pogba, the last two games, three games, has been very, very good. Look, they're genuine contenders. 100% they are. You think they can win it? Well, look, I think Liverpool is, is doing really well. I think Man City are flying at the moment. So they uh, look, I, I, Tottenham, unbelievable. I think it's going to be very close. I don't think it's going to be a walkover for anyone. And I, I think they can win it. 100% they can win it. 
We will see how uh, United go. They've got a big game coming up on Wednesday, Carabao Cup semi-final, which uh, uh, under COVID has been reduced to just the one leg, and they are at home in a Manchester derby against uh, City, who were three one winners on Sunday night against Chelsea, and very, very impressive in that uh, particular win as well. You watched that one, Spider. How good were City? They were frightening. They they've been back for they've been back for the last couple of weeks, and you know why? Defensively, they are very, very good. Uh, you can see the shape. You can see how quickly they get back behind the ball. Uh, and then when they break, they get numbers in the box to score. And you know how we are talking about how they didn't have that goal scorer that was going to get them 25 goals? They're, yep. they're still sharing the love, but they, now they're starting to take those chances that they were creating before. They're, 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 Chelsea they're, had no idea. Chelsea today <laughs> had no idea how to, how to cope with... The, the two wider strikers, you could had Sterling and you had Foden playing in wider between centre-half and fullback, And you had the, the Bruno playing as a, a false 9-10, whatever you want to call it. Chelsea did not know what to do. Um, and Man City and Gundogan in the middle of the park, Simon was, was excellent, scored a very good first goal. Man City were very, very good tonight. Yeah, yeah Gundogan is uh, starting to add goals to his game, which uh, has been the missing link for him over the last uh, 12 months at Manchester City. Uh, Spurs got a big win against Leeds by three goals to nil. And I wanted to ask you about uh, Son Heung-min and Harry Kane and their partnership. The revival of, of the strike partnership, which is something we used to talk about an awful lot in years gone by when there was the likes of Keegan and Toshak and even more recently Shearer and Sutton and Andy Cole and Dwight York and Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp. Are, are these two the, the best of the modern generation in terms of uh, you know, the, the, the strike partners? Oh, I don't know. I, I actually can't believe how good this son is. Seriously, I, I, I'm, actually, I, I, I'm more seriously. I, I knew he was a good player and I'd watched him play live. And I, but wow, the more and more I watch him, he's scarily good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like this. I mean, you touch on those partnerships, Simon. I probably, yeah, McCoyce and Haitley in the 90s as well. And you had Ravenelli and Viali. Yeah, you'd bring those two up. <laughs> Ravenelli and Viali as well. But look, what you were saying about Son and Kane is they are, in, in my opinion, top two. Um, the, the top two strikers in the same team, that partnership we're talking about, I think they're the best in the Premier League. What will really sort of like make a name for them is they've actually got to win a trophy. You know, we're talking about all those other partnerships. They were, they were trophy winners. Yeah. Well, they've got a chance again. Carabao Cup semi-final during the week. They take on Brentford. You'd imagine they'd get past them. And then they've got a chance in the final at Wembley. Uh, at the other end of the Premier League table, uh, Sheffield United have just passed Queen's Park Rangers' unwanted record of 17 games without a win to start uh, the season. Is it just second season syndrome for the Blades? What on earth has gone wrong there? Because they were terrific last season under Chris Wilder. Yeah, we did. We did touch on them. Or I think I did in terms of I didn't expect them to be where they are, but I, I certainly didn't feel that they would perform the way they did in their first season. Look, the, what they what they done last year very very well is they made themselves hard to beat, but they actually they went ahead in game Simon, so they were leading games. Now their their performances are not terrible, but they're going behind in matches and they're just not able to to get themselves back in there on a terrible run, um, and it must be it must be really tough walking in there on a day to day basis because with, with Chris Wilder there they're an honest group they'll be working their backsides off. They're just not getting the turn of luck that they need to get on a little run. So big, big trouble for Sheffield United because that's a horrible record. And I don't think teams survive um, from there at this stage of the season.
they're not a free flowing scoring machine, are they? So no. when when they go behind, they're in big trouble. Last year they they were in front one 0 and like you said, Maury, mate, they defended, they worked, they graft, and you know what? It's it happens to a lot of teams. They they probably overachieved, not probably, they definitely overachieved last yeah. year, and and this year a little bit of reality is hitting, and mate, they're down already for me. 11 of those uh, 17 games that they failed to win have uh, been defeats by just the odd goal, which sort of underlines that point. They just cannot score the Blades. Uh, Burnley have scored a big win this week, been bought out by a Delaware-based investment company called ALK. An interesting one that did a little bit of research on who owns all the clubs now in the Premier League. There's, There's only four clubs left owned or majority controlled by English stroke British businessmen. They are Brighton, Tony Bloom, Newcastle, Mike Ashley, and the Newcastle fans don't want him there. Uh, Spurs, Joe Lewis and Daniel Levy, and West Ham, David Sullivan and David Gold. Um, Should this be a concern for clubs in England, all this selling off of the the family silver? An even bigger concern for me is the fact that only 10 of the 24 clubs in the championship have UK owners. As well. That's probably one. That's probably one for you to talk about because I don't really care who owns the clubs. That's probably closer to your heart, really. As long well, as the clubs are run properly, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right. If they're good owners, it, it shouldn't matter. But uh, I, I think this is something that's emerged a lot in in British society over the last twenty, thirty years. You know, the selling off of. Uh, uh, the family silver, if you like. A lot of the buildings, you know, ancient buildings, modern buildings in, in London are now owned by foreign investment. And, you know, our football clubs have a, a lot of heritage. Now, as you say, if they're, if they're good owners, um, mm. then that's fine. But there are some that are not necessarily. And I think that is the yeah. concern. Let's hope ALK are good owners for Burnley. Their new chairman, Maury Alan Pace, has a, a background in Wall Street. That's a bit different to Burnley, isn't it, on a Saturday afternoon? <laughs> hey, well, he'd be, he'd, be good, he'd be good at numbers, but you're right. Uh, in Burnley, oof, a little bit different to Wall Street, I would imagine. I was down, I was down calling a game down there a few weeks ago. Yeah, lovely little stadium. Uh, yeah, that's great. Lo- lovely, to, lovely to go to Burnley. It was lovely to leave. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I spent two years there working for BBC Radio Lancashire, and uh, we were based out of Blackburn, which, as you yeah. know, so there's a big rivalry yeah. between Burnley and Blackburn. And because we were based in Blackburn, the Burnley fans were convinced that we were all Rovers fans. We were all, you know, everything was Rovers. And there wasn't a single Blackburn fan amongst the, the sports team, but. They had it in for us massively. And every phone, you remember the old Saturday evening phone-ins at six o'clock? Um, every, every weekend, there were three or four Burnley fans. Oh, I want to complain about your bias against Burnley. You're all Rovers fans, you lot. <laughs> it was complete nonsense. Great stuff, though. Passionate about their club. Good luck to them under ALK. Um, on a slightly more sombre note, guys, uh, passing of a couple of legends in the last couple of weeks, both Scots, Maury, perhaps uh, good to go to you on these two. Uh, Tommy Doherty, at the age of 92, had, of course, success with Manchester United and Chelsea. Had spells in Australia as well with Sydney yeah. Olympic and South Melbourne. And also uh, the passing of Jim McLean at uh, 83, who led Dundee United to their first and so far only Scottish Premier League title. Your thoughts on those two gentlemen? Yeah, look, I mean, again... Um... Unfortunately, we, we, we have to, you know, these, these things happen. It's a part of life. Uh, you know, certain 
you get to a certain age in life. Tommy Doherty, fantastic football person with a, an unbelievable background in the game. Um, so condolences, obviously, to his family. Uh, Jim McLean, I probably knew a little bit more about um, Simon in terms of, you know, he was he was the one, I think, that really Sir Alex kind of took the lead from uh, in, in terms of that style of, of management. Jim McLean was somebody that um, knew every single person within a football club, what their day-to-day lives were, that really personal touch um, was quite a hard man uh, in terms of uh, his expectations. Uh, but again, you know, to lead Dundee United uh, to their, their first, and like it says, only SPL title, uh, it shows what a, what a great man he was. So condolences also to, to the McLean family. And, and between them, Maury, Jim McLean and uh, Alex Ferguson, when he was at Aberdeen, I mean, they broke the old firm stranglehold, which is, I think people yeah. forget just what a remarkable achievement that was, given the limited budgets that Aberdeen and Dundee United worked upon. They even became known for a little while, I think, as the new firm, as opposed to the old firm, because they won all the trophies between them. And they had huge uh, European successes mm. uh, back then. That was in the 80s, Simon, as well, yeah. wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. yeah, Dundee United got to the UEFA Cup final in 1986. Uh, and Aberdeen, of course, won the Cup Winners' Cup in 1983, beating Real Madrid uh, yeah. in the final. Uh, halcyon days Incredible for time. Scottish football. Um, let's talk about a, a modern-day manager, Spider. Maurizio Pochettino is is back in coaching with Paris Saint-Germain, who sacked Thomas Tuchel. Can you believe this? They've sacked Thomas Tuchel, despite him taking them to their first-ever Champions League final. Jeez, it's a brutal game, football, isn't it? He had the best win ratio out of any <laughs> manager at a club. So it just shows you there was different agendas. And you know what? When you have money, you can actually make these things happen. Uh, Pochettino is a great well. manager. Spides, he was one point what? off the top of the league as well. <laughs> no, no, mate. More is scary, scary. But there was obviously some sort of different agenda. Look, Pochettino was available. PSG obviously thought, well, this is the man we really want. Uh, and they went, went down that way. When you've got the money, Maury, you can pay these other managers out. Uh, look, I feel sorry for him because <laughs> to have a win ratio like that, to be one point off first, he would have won the competition by 20 points by the end of it. Uh, to lose your job is, is scary. I, I'm sure he'll, he'll have six months off, think about it, and uh, other offers will come his way for sure. Wonder if we might see him in uh, the English Premier League at some stage in the near oh, future. I wouldn't you might be right there. Wouldn't bank against it, would you? Okay, uh, just to finish off, uh, a few uh, news lines from around Asia, particularly with regards to the Aussies. Uh, Adam Taggart has moved from uh, Suwon to Cerezo Osaka in time for the new J League campaign. That a good move for him, uh, Maury? Yeah, I think it. Look, I think it is. He he proved himself in in. Uh... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In Korea with Suwon, obviously things um, fell away at the end in terms of it can happen at clubs, you know. But he, he's a proven goal scorer. I think going to Japan, I think will we'll also suit tags. 
he's an experienced player now. He's had a good run uh, in terms of staying injury-free. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited to see how he does in Japan. I think it's a league that will suit him. Yeah, fingers crossed it goes well for him. Uh, Demi Petratos is going well in Saudi Arabia. Scored six goals in 11 matches for Al Wada. Uh, still not quite as good as Nikita Rukovic, who is now 13 goals in 13 uh, for Maccabi Haifa, although he missed out of the weekend against Hapoel Hadera. And uh, not an Aussie, but somebody we remember well. Uh, Adam Lafondre is going really well in the Indian Super League as well. Six goals in eight for Mumbai City. And uh, congrats too to two of our Matildas, Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford, nominated for the December Player of the Month Award in uh, the Women's Super League in England. All right, time to move on to our final segment. And with the unbundling of the Pro Leagues now complete from FFA, we're going to be analysing what it all means in footballers' lives. Footballers Live. Well, he's not a footballer these days, but he was back in the days of the National Soccer League. Born in 1974, he played for Sydney United and Parramatta Power in the former National League, playing and scoring in the 1999 Grand Final against South Melbourne at Olympic Park for Sydney United. But after his career was cut short by a knee injury, threw himself into his sports science degree, then an MBA, and it's as an administrator that he's had a huge impact, retiring as a player at an early age. Recognised by the Sports Business Journal as one of the most 40 influential global sports executives under 40 in 2015, he set up his own sports marketing agency called Repucom, spending time in both London and New York building the business, and by the time he sold it, it had 22 offices worldwide with 2,000 employees. He took over as CEO of Sydney FC in 2017. And more recently, he's been at the coalface of negotiations to unbundle the professional leagues from Football Australia. A rather torturous process, which finally came to an end on New Year's Eve. It is a great pleasure to welcome Danny Townsend to the podcast. How are you, Danny? I'm good, thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Oh, I will say you've aged me three years in that intro, mate. That was <laughs> impressive. But that was I'm epic. 19, I'm I, 1977 born. Come on. Oh, I'm sorry. Now I'm looking old, and the, and the process of unbundling has taken three years off my ass. <laughs> only, only three years? Yeah, good point, actually. Probably feels like 10, but anyway. Yeah. It's, 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 good it's, put, it's put 20 on the rest of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Danny, we'll talk about the unbundling in a moment. Uh, but before that, I just wanted to touch upon your own playing career because people don't really probably talk too much about it with you. It, it was cut a bit short. Did, did it make you more determined to succeed in the world of sports business? Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know, When you do something you love and you're fortunate enough to play professionally for as, even a short period of time, um, when that gets taken away from you, you obviously want to go out and do something that um, I suppose fuels the competitive spirit that you have as a, as a player. And, you know, I think the less said, said about my career, the better. I, I would <laughs> and, and, and that goal in the grand final was hardly a 30-yard screamer. But, um, look, it was, like I said, it was great to, to play for even the short period of time I did. And, and the camaraderie you get from a dressing room is, is something you can't replicate anywhere else uh, in any other, any other uh, line of business. So if you can do that, come close to that in business, then, then you, you're going to... Uh, enjoy what you do. So, yeah, my football was great, but, yeah, short, short-lived. Well, Danny, you scored one more goal in a grand final than I did, and uh, most people did as well. Um, let, let's get on to the recent developments then. You, you finally unbundled on New Year's Eve. 
what what does that mean for the clubs and the leagues and the FFA? Why, why did it take so long as well? It's a, it's a generational change for the game. So it was complex. And, and I think in, at a high level, when you look at it from the outside, you go, yeah, it's simple. You guys go that way, you take those things. You guys go that way and you take those things and get on with it. But we, we're actually negotiating a, a significant change in the governance structure of Australian football that we'll live with for 100 years. And if you get it wrong, um, the people around the table who are negotiating it all negotiated in good faith. We could look at each other in the eye. We all know each other. But in 30 years, someone's going to have a disagreement and want to go back to a set of documents to try and work out what the hell was going on and what was the intent uh, at the time. So it was a lot more complex than even I thought going into it. But in the end, I think um, it was the right balance between ensuring you know, we have enough commercial freedom to go and supercharge the game and, and equally the FA have enough influence over us to ensure you know, we do the right thing in the national interests of football. So we, we've had so many questions on Twitter uh, for you, which I'm sure you're delighted about. Uh, let, let's start with this one from Matt Eggleton. Can you give us three practical examples of changes we may see within the A-League due to the unbundling over the next 12 months? So, I mean, I presume there was always a plan in place when all this came to pass. Yeah, we'd put together, as part of the New League's working group, Africa at the time put together four different strategy documents for the A-League, the W-League, the Y-League and, and the E-League. So those strategy documents are in place and have been for a number of years. But I think from a practical standpoint, the key, the first one is really investment. You know, we're gonna, we've got owners now that, have, uh, that own an asset that they're now willing to invest in. You know, it's very hard to continue to invest in a product you have no ownership or control over. And, and I think that was one of the key things. And, and investment's not just going to come from owners. It's going to come from third-party investment in the game. It's going to come from an increased corporate sector investment in the game. So we all know that ultimately money has been a great inhibitor of our, our competition since its inception. And the ability for us to raise more money, and, and again, not a slight on the FA, they had this compromising situation where every money they made had to be split between national teams, the league and the grassroots. So we've got now a laser focus on ensuring that the professional game thrives and, and that takes investment. I think the second one is digital transformation. You're going to see significant change in the way APL engages the fans. We've got a, a really rich customer base who, who love our game. Um, and unfortunately, just the way we're structured right now, our, 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 um, our way of communicating with them is a little bit um, analogue, let's say, and I think we've got a real focus on, on taking that audience and engaging with them more effectively through different content distribution strategies and, and just ensuring that we move our game into, into the future. And, and, and that's going to be an exciting change, I think you'll see uh, relatively shortly. And, and also just general marketing and communications. I think we're all in the same boat that we felt there just wasn't enough effort. Well, not effort's probably the wrong word because the, the, the people involved we're working with limited budgets and, and limited uh, resources. I think what we'll be doing is really putting a lot of effort into ensuring that the A-League and the W-League and the Y-League and E-League are top of mind in, in the sporting arena in Australia and ensuring that we get allowed a share of voice amongst the other sports is something we're really focused on. There was, uh, Danny, a story that appeared on FTBL over the weekend. <clears throat> Don't know if you read it, but... Uh, it stated that not all the clubs are particularly happy over the finer details of the split. Uh, some clubs, according to this story, said to be uh, angry that Football Australia still exerts a fair bit of control over the professional leagues. Is, is there any truth to that story? Well, there's no truth, to my knowledge, of any, any clubs being unhappy because they all voted unanimously for it. Um, look, like with all things, in any negotiation, you want 
to come out the other side with as much control over your future as you can. Uh, but equally, like I said at the start here, there needed to be a balance. There needed to be, you know, the people that are involved right now, like myself or Paul Lederer, you know, we're here now, but what if we're not here in 10, 15 years' time? And, and suddenly the people that are running APL aren't the type of people that, that the game needs. So there needs to be some form of regulatory control, and, and that was the balance we struck with the FA, and I think we're all happy with where it landed. Danny, you mentioned the, the future there of the, of the game and the professional league. Um, in terms of the, the Asian calendar year and, and moving away from summer, summer football, um, obviously we're going to go into a little bit of the months where the cooler weather, and we know that it brings an intensity and a different level to the matches. Is that something that is looking to happen longer term? And, and, and what do you see the, the benefits of that if that is a, going to be the case? Look, one thing we need to do is think differently about the game. You know, if we continue to turn up and do the same thing as we've done the last 15 years, we're not going to change and improve uh, where we're at. So we've got to look at everything, including the the match schedule and the calendar. Um, There's a lot of pros to moving and aligning with the grassroots and also Asia, as you say, Maury. But equally, there are cons, significant ones in terms of competition and and share a voice in media. and, And equally, the media market and how how much they're willing to pay for us to occupy a reasonably vacant window as opposed to a cluttered one. So a lot of work needs to be done. Research needs to be undertaken and, and we're going through that at the moment. And I guess, look, the reason why, why I asked that is uh, because normally with the, the current contract situations, when they were ending, um, when, when players transfer to Asia, it's normally a package. So you don't really get that transfer fee what you would get when you're moving players to Europe. So the idea of players being uh, contracted and protected in that June and July or July-August window and getting transfer fees, but I understand the, um, the delicate situation because you've got to weigh out the long-term future of the game in terms of broadcast mm. and, and potential transfer sales. So it, it is a real challenge, but it's great that we're having the discussions because we do need something different, as you know, to really sort of leapfrog and, and take the game forward in a, in a new, fresh direction. Yeah, definitely, more. I think that's right. And, and, you know, like I said before, you've got to go through the process of researching all the pros and cons. And, and look, at the end of the day, we are the professional leagues of this country. So by being professional, we need to make sure we preserve the financial sustainability of the game. And, and there are lots of different contributors to that, some big, some small. But ultimately, we've got to sum all that up and work out what's the best thing for the game. And, and we'll no doubt do that over the coming months. Danny, there's going to be a new board set up uh, to run the the APL, uh, the new name for the collective body, another acronym. Goodness me, we have so many of these, don't we, in Australia? Um, another one in, yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's going to be five reps from the clubs, which should be easy enough for the clubs to sort out. One from the FA, which should be easy enough. Three independents. H- how is the identity of those people going to be decided? Look, like any good well-functioning board, you need a skills matrix. You need to identify where we, we need help. Um, you know, I would point to things like government relations. We've never had our fair share of gut funds coming from government. We need someone on our board who can walk the halls of parliament and, and give football a, a proper crack. Um, we need probably better expertise in digital marketing and, and uh, digital communications. You know, I think we definitely need football people um, you know, to also help help the, um, the development pathways that we can play a critical or do play a critical role in. So I think that's the, the way it will be done. We've identified that we require a skills matrix. We'll put that together and then we'll go out and seek the right people that can bring the right skill set to help us do a better job. That sort of leads on to the, the next uh, Twitter question, which this is from uh, A-League Couch Critics. How does the league's... 
there's plenty of those, eh? Uh, how, yeah. do the, how do the leagues attract sponsorship dollars in the craziness of COVID? Does the world climate uh, make a huge impact? I guess it has to. Um, and he go, or she goes on to say, of course, we still have no naming rights sponsor for the league, or for the A-League anyway. Yeah, no doubt that COVID has, has provided all sports a curveball. And, and if you speak to me or any other executive across all the codes, I'll all say the same thing, that it's tough out there commercially. But I think the one thing that we take a lot of um, confidence in is the change in the game and the story that we can now tell around what we're going to do differently and how we're going to execute and how we're going to unlock the potential of our fan base at the, the bottom of that participation pyramid that we've talked about for years after year after year. Um, through our digital transformation strategy, um, we think we can do a really, really good job of, of unlocking that potential. And, and that gives brands that opportunity to take a punt with us and, and say, look, football is a global game. It's got the biggest participation base in this country. It's going through an inflection point that should make it a, a powerhouse in this country. Get in now, back us and come with us on that journey because we're going to get there and we're, we're resolute in that commitment. So. Uh, next one from George G. This, this is one that's, I think, a topic that is on the lips of, of many people. Uh, where does expansion sit in the minds of the A-League now? And would it come through a national second division or more teams in the current A-League format? Of course, the, I think the AFC, AAFC, goodness me, another acronym, uh, due to make a, a statement on January the 8th about their progression. Are you in dialogue with them? Or does that sit outside your remit? How does this whole discussion uh, move forward? Yeah, look, that's largely the FA's remit at the moment. We would love, obviously, to engage with AFC at the right time. We're we're not currently in dialogue with them. But if you go back to your original question, we are committed to expansion. And and we've we've got that in our, our strategy documents around where we want to get to and how we want to get there is, is could take a number of different routes. I think you've got um, geography first and foremost, like what are the right places for us to expand to, to ensure that the ownership structure there is, is the right one that's going to align with the other investors and, and, and put the right money into, into the game. But equally, um, performance merit. If there is a situation where there's a national second division where a club is performing exceptionally well um, over an extended period of time and has the right commercial strategy and financial stability um, to survive in the, the, the A-League. And, and as we know, it takes a lot of money to invest to stay relevant in the A-League um, and competitive. So I think as you, you've got to go through that criteria. You've got to set the criteria first and then you've got to follow through with it and ensure that you're making the right decisions around um, you know, taking the A-League to different parts of the country. Promotion, relegation? Ultimately, yes, no? Yeah, absolutely. I think any, any football person would love to see promotion relegation. Some of the best games I've ever watched are, are battles for either relegation or promotion. But you've also got to do it at the right time and ensure that the, 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 the leagues can sustain that type of movement up and down financially because you don't want teams coming up who can't afford to be there or you don't want teams going down who'll go broke the next year because they've, they've got a structure in place that is too costly for the commercial model of the second tier. So I think that's just really important that we get that right. Um, and I don't think we rush into it, but I think, um, I think it's definitely got to be the goal for the future. Danny, in terms of Asia, I just want to touch on that a little bit again, because Sydney, have, obviously, through your success, have had involvement in the, the Asian Champions League, which is, which is fantastic. What, what do you feel that the future is in terms of, you know, 
relationships. Can we do more in that space in terms of bringing that, that relationship a lot closer? We're seeing a lot of Asian players now coming into the Australian mm. market. Like, where do you see the future of Australia and Asia and, and more benefit? Yeah, I think it's it's a really important one for us. You know, we we play the global game and we're in a market where the biggest countries in our area have a football first sort of culture. So we need to try and tap into that more effectively. We haven't really done that, I would say, at all. Um, you know, short of a couple of marquee players that have come down over the years like Ono and, and Co. But I think for us, it's about ensuring how we plug in. I think to do that, we need to have a better digital Footprint. We need to be able to get into those markets and have our content accessible to mobile-first um, football fans. You know, at the end of the day, the population bases of Indonesia and Thailand and Vietnam and China—they're not watching cable television. They've, all, they've got over 100% mobile penetration in their markets. They watch they watch sports on their phones. So we've got to find a better strategy to reach those guys. And I think the style of football we have down here is is enticing for. Asian countries to engage with so uh, definitely something we need to really step up. That, that digital content has been a recurring theme throughout this chat it's obviously it's something that's very much at the forefront uh, of the minds of the clubs that it needs it leads on to this next question this is from W League stroke A League en français which is uh, obviously nice. looking global which is good uh, and uh, their question is please ask Danny about the TV rights are the APL leaders looking to new medias, for example, Netflix, Amazon, etc.? And will there be games on free-to-air to boost viewership and supporter engagement going forward? You've got six months left, of course, of the current deal with, with Fox Sports. We do, yeah. And I think, you know, right now we're at the cold face of, of working through what we do. Um, and as you know, Simon, we've done, put a lot of work into sort of a strategy around going um, down a digital path. You know, we think just... The, the, the audience that we have, it skews young. Um, they're engaged digitally. 90 minutes of football these days is a difficult task for people under 20 to watch for some reason. So we've got to look at ways in which we're able to, to um, communicate to those that rich um, audience that we have there. And, and you can do that more effectively through digital means. Now, that's not to say that the only um, channel to market is digital. I think there's still a massive opportunity in free-to-air television in order to stay adjacent to the mainstream. And I think we need to absolutely look at a hybrid model where uh, we control our own content. That's the most important part. We can't, we can't sell our content to someone and lose control of how it gets disseminated into the market. We've got to be the controlling influence over where that content goes and where we put that will be defined by how much people are prepared to pay, but probably most importantly at this point is how many eyeballs can we reach in different forms. Um, so that's that's really core to the strategy. Well, that's brilliant. That's something that the golden generation was talking about for a long time. So it's good to hear that uh, we're looking down that path. The other thing I wanted to ask you, Danny, is with the sponsorship now, when does this begin? So it's a free-for-all. So every club is now out there to get their own sponsorship. Is, is there a uh, no-go zone or can you just... Any sponsor will do now. No, we, we, the, the clubs have always been free to go after their own partners. I think there was always protected partners at the FA that, that sat centrally that paid a certain threshold that gave them some protection. Like Hyundai, for example, we weren't able to go out and get Correct. car partners. But you know, the goal for APL is to, to build a really sustainable, strong group of major corporations like Bunnings that have just joined us. We're going to announce another couple in the next couple of weeks um, that will give that, that centre 
the funds it needs to continue to invest, but equally not inhibit the club's ability to generate enough income to, to pay their own bills. So that's a balance, and we're looking at building out a really strong commercial team at APL uh, that I think is going to really change up the way we take football to market. Do those, uh, do those new sponsors include a naming rights sponsor for the league, Danny? Not at this stage, no. no. We, we've actually okay. we made a concerted effort at, with COVID to ensure that we build out a stable of a really strong commercial brands that could get their foot in the door into the game. You're going for one brand to go pay a significant amount of money. There's two ways of raising the money. There's getting 10 people to pay X to get to Y or one to pay, pay X to get to Y. And in this environment, it was always going to be easier for us to get 10 um, paying X and that's what we're after and, and we're well on the way to doing that but equally we want the type of brands that can actually bring value to us through their, their customer network their retail networks because in order to drive the interest in the game we need others helping us in the marketing space and 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 brands like Bunning with all their stores and the things that we can do with them um, is going to enhance uh, our, our reach into the market. Just want to return to uh, to the digital uh, stroke broadcast landscape just for a moment um, there's been a lot of talk about this uh, potential OTT platform, which, of course, the, the golden generation have, have pushed as well. Uh, is that still at the forefront of your thinking as, as part of your uh, digital strategy going forward? And if so, do you require this um, uh, oft-quoted special-purpose vehicle, outside investment, to, to finance that, to get it up and running? Depends out how far you go down that path. I think OTT strategy is absolutely part of that hybrid mix of content distribution I talked about earlier. Um, and having our, our participation base and, and, and fan base connected into that digital platform is really key. Whether that's an exclusive model or whether that's a hybrid whereby you know, non-exclusive content now I think may well be the future where that same match might be available on a free-to-air match or free-to-air channel, but equally on an app or on a streaming service that we, we own and control. So um, de- definitely still part of the thinking and, and is, is going to be a key part of our data monetization plans into the future because if you can control and build a, a really strong online digital connected consumer base, your ability to, to engage with them financially on lots of different things like merchandise, ticket sales, you know, is, is really key. So uh, we'll be definitely doing that. Danny, uh, interesting thing, and I'm sure you would have been across it, it's happened, a uh, proposal for the Atlantic League here in, in Europe. So I know how in terms uh, difficult it is for broadcast dollars in Australia, but uh, over here in Europe, what in Scotland and the, and the Scandinavian countries uh, are trying to, to come together with the backing of UEFA um, to, to have this Atlantic League, which is a huge broadcast deal potentially on the table. Is that something possibly we could, we could look at in Australia, Asia, uh, to, to broaden the net? So it's not just that Australian investment within the game, but it's, it's Asian dollars that can also filter through to the game? Yeah, I suppose the Asian Champions League is designed to do that in a way, but I think at the moment the way that's structured commercially for clubs in Australia it doesn't really deliver the returns that you're talking about, Maury. I think, you know, there, a, a club competition in ASEAN has been, has been hinted before, and I know that's... Um, was delayed in its setup, but it's still planned to go ahead. And whether Australian teams can play a role in ASEAN, I think is going to be an interesting um, thing to explore. Because you, you look at the ASEAN market, it's closer from a travel perspective. You've got yep. you've got some pretty populous nations up there like Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, that love football, Malaysia. Um, so, yeah, I, I think definitely there, there needs to be a, a greater emphasis put on continental football for Australia in order to drive that that or unlock that commercial opportunity you touched on, mate. 
because it's massive. Yeah. It, it, it could be massive for, for Australia. Just it's the difficulty of at the moment with uh, COVID uh, chasing the dollar for our game at the moment, new broadcast deal. And that's not going to happen in, in the next year or two, but I'm just long, longer term, there could be some serious benefits for, for all involved. No, we're, we're fortunate. And that's why I'd love, I love working in this game. You know, we, we've got so much unlocked potential that we can go after and, and we play a global sport that the biggest and most populous countries in the world love. Um, you know, the, our competitive codes in Australia don't have that. You know, when, if you're playing rugby league or rugby union or AFL, you know, your ability to go beyond where you are in Australia is pretty limited. And I always say that I've got two daughters who play football and their friends play AFL. And I go, why do you play AFL? You know, the best you can ever be is pay for the Sydney Swans in the W in the WAFL. Whereas a young girl can play for Sydney FC, play for the Matildas, go to Olympics, go to World Cups, play for Real Madrid. You know, the opportunity is endless. And that's what football brings. Danny, just a couple more and then we will let you go. We're aware that you've got other things to do today. Um, this is our question of the week. I liked this question. It's something I hadn't thought about. Uh, it's from Greg Page. Congratulations, Greg. You win a $100 million voucher for the Outback Steakhouse, one of our great sponsors. And Greg says, uh, Canberra United, shouldn't they have a full seat at the table, given that they're older than MacArthur and Western United in, uh, in the new Unbundle Leagues? Good question, I think. Yeah, look, it's, a, it's an interesting question. It's not one that, that I've really been a party to any conversations on, so I can't really give you a, a, a detailed answer on it, aside from the fact I know they definitely have um, a voice in the room um, in that they, ha- they do have um, the ability to, to attend board meetings in terms of have a representation um, there. But, look, I, I think into the future, whatever we do now is always going to be subject to change. If we, we think that in... 10 years' time, the way we're structured now will be the way we're structured then is pretty naive. I think we've got to be willing to be nimble and be flexible. And if there warrants change at that level, um, then we, we should definitely be looking at it. But equally, there's, you know, there's likely to be expansion, as we talked about, and those clubs, you know, Canberra, for one, is at the forefront of, of putting its foot forward for one of those, um, one of those licences into the future. So maybe that's, that's the way to tidy that one up. It's a fair question, though, isn't it? Because Canberra is this odd sort of anomaly in that it's the only W League club that isn't affiliated to uh, an A League club, and it's it's been around for a decade, and yet sort of not a full seat at the table. And you know, we've got a Women's World Cup coming up in in three years' time. Uh, maybe they should be there. And they're top of the W League, aren't they? Yeah. Last time I checked. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, it's an interesting question. It hasn't one that not one that's come up. To me before, but yeah, it's one, one to think okay. uh, Ben Archer, this is a good one too. Do you think there is a brain drain impacting Australian football, which is contributing to the collective issues the game is facing? <laughs> I don't know what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> Maury and Spider. Um, is, that mean, oh, is that meaning that I'm a moron? I don't know what the hell into that. But um, look, I, there's enough good people in football to, to move this game forward. So I'm, I've got no problem about that. I think it's just giving them the right freedom to, to go and do things differently and, and, um, yeah, and take some risks and think entrepreneurially and do all those things. But I think there's plenty, plenty enough brains going around. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Danny, we've spoken about it on the show and we laugh about it, the unbundling, the unbundling. It's Maury's favourite word. But <laughs> I, I actually feel a lot more peaceful now that I've spoken to you and then I'm a little bit clearer on which direction we're going. So I think even the listeners out there would, would be enjoying this. But they'd be saying, oh, that's a good idea. Okay, we know what's coming now. And I think as long as people see and know what's happening now, 
people will be a lot easier and they'll actually be willing to participate where it just seemed for so long we were locked in the lurch in the dark and we had no idea what was going on and it was a scary stage there for Australian football. Yeah, you're right, Spider. And I think communications is really important. And I think we've done a pretty ordinary job of that across the board for, for quite some time now. And, and again, it was probably because our focuses were on the wrong things. We were focused on trying to work through governance structures and things like that when we should have been focused on engaging the, the young players that love our game and, and, and um, uniting the game at a, at a, at a fan base level. And, and I think that's where we're going now. I don't think, I know that's where we're going now. And we wanted to kick the shackles off and make sure we could really focus on what's important for the leagues. And the FA needs to refocus themselves on delivering a fantastic opportunity for the game in 2023 in the Women's World Cup. Um, having really successful national teams, which we need as leagues. If the national teams aren't performing well, then our leagues and our ability to monetize our players is, is um, diminished. And we need the grassroots continuing to grow because that's the future supporter base of our game. And those responsibilities are a big one and they sit with the FA, but we'll work together with them to ensure we're all pulling in the same direction and the outcomes for everyone are better than they have been in the past. Brilliant. Uh, Danny, uh, Bobo has returned. Yeah, mate. Yeah, he's, he's, in, uh, he's in Adelaide in a hotel room at the moment. Yeah. Mate, that must be exciting. Obviously, a player that was so successful in Australia knows the club, knows the culture, the values. Yeah. Um, looks like a, an exciting signing for you once again. Yeah, look, Bobo's just a great guy. You know, he, he, was, he was very much loved at our club on the field for what he did. But equally off the field, he really plugged into the culture well and he understood how our club works. And I think, as you know, better than most, mate. Recruitment's hard when you're bringing people in from foreign countries that aren't used to playing in the heat, aren't used to our hard pitches, aren't used to, you know, the travel that goes on between matches. Um, having someone that's proven there is a real asset for us. Yeah, he's not the same guy necessarily that was banging in 27 goals in 26 matches three or four years ago, but yeah, we're confident he can play a role for the club and, and we'll definitely see some more Bobo goals in the, the coming season. I'm and sorry, he is not costing you as much as he did a couple of years ago either. Uh, no, no he, he's not the big fella. But look, yeah, he, he's uh, yeah, he, he's just he's great value for money. Put it that way. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Danny, uh, yeah. two, two more Sydney FC questions to to finish us off. Um, first of all, Stephen on Twitter asks: Is there any sort of update on Sydney having their own stadium and or training ground to play out of? Would St George's Stadium at Barton Park? Goodness me, we've been talking about this one yeah. I think for twenty years, haven't we? Be a good yeah. spot to restore for Sydney FC. I think the FA were interested in that site as well. Might be. Yeah, right. that one's a difficult site. It's got some some zoning issues and DAs attached to it that are already in in place. So we did have a look at that. Um, many years ago, not many years ago, a couple of years ago when I first came, but um, we we're, were for, for tackle at first stadium, obviously the Sydney football stadium is due for completion in May, uh, 22, I can say May next year now, which is great. It's <laughs> around the corner. Um, May 22. And we've got four years left on a venue hire agreement with the SCG trust or venues. New South Wales is there called now. And, and we look forward to getting into a world-class stadium and making the most of that. And we'll make future assessments beyond that period. And um, from a, Centre of Excellence training facility. We're in the process of finalising an announcement on that front. Um, it's been a long time coming, but we've now got everything in place to, to, to really come out with an exciting announcement in the first quarter of this year around uh, a facility that will be completed early in 2022 as well, so 12 months away, yeah, which will cool. house all of our football from 
our A-League, W-League, Y-League, all the way down to our under-13s and, and equally all of our administration and, and football departments. So, um, yeah, really excited about that one and, and really keen to announce that in the, the coming month or two. Okay, and, and this last one, uh, Danny from Arto Harkinen. Uh, can you please elaborate on your role going forward with the Australian Professional Leagues? For example, how will you keep that role separate from your role with Sydney FC? It's a good question. I think for, for me, my, my role really has been in the commercial side of the unbundling and ensuring that we put ourselves in, in a position to ensure we can maximise the financial and commercial potential in the leagues. Um, I, I play a role on the APL advisory board as a CEO representative on there and, and I'll continue to do that. The reality is we need to go out and, and hire first-class executives in a commercial environment to, to drive the game forward. Um, I've got a day job. So, and I want to continue to do that day job, but at the same time, I've, I'm at the forefront of a lot of the commercial strategy and, and I'll no doubt be working with whomever we hire um, to, to get involved in, in those things. But definitely um, separate, I definitely don't get involved in any of the footballing matters. Greg O'Rourke is the commissioner of the leagues, as you would have read. Um, he does a fantastic job there and he'll continue to do that and all of the regulatory matters associated with the football side of APL will, will always sit with Greg. So. You're a busy man, Danny, and therefore we should uh, let you go. But uh, not before we say thanks so much for uh, being so generous with your time today. Um, it sounds all really positive And, uh, yeah, I think I'll probably speak for the three of us that, that we're all re-energised by hearing what the plans are for the next uh, six months. And we wish you all the very best with it. Football needs this regeneration. So uh, thanks, Danny. No, thanks, fellas. Love the thanks podcast. Lot, keep, keep it up. And we need more of this sort of stuff in our game. So anytime you need some clarity on things, I hopefully can give you that. Great stuff. I'll find you sure. <laughs> <laughs> we might have you on every week, Danny. L- lose my number. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Danny. Cheers, thanks, mate. Danny. Yeah, fellas. Thank our you. Thanks to Danny Townsend. And that is us for our first edition of 2021. We're back same time, same place next week. Until then, bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.